The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. This episode of the Podcast of Terror is brought to you by our friends at Statusphere Merch. Use our coupon code TERROR for 15% off your order at statusphere.merch.com. Welcome to episode 64 of the Podcast of Terror. This is a production of the Galactic Network. Uh, this is a podcast about all things scary. I'm your host, Matt Stein. With me, as always, is Corey Brown Nipple Scott. Corey? Hi. I, I don't know if they're brown necessarily or if there's just a lot of shadow on them because they're inverted, but, you know. Jesus. A little yeah. lipstick will make things change. You gotta get your nipple game figured out there, guy. I figure out my nipples just fine. <laughs> for more in this podcast, including show notes, content information, and subscription links, go to gncast.com slash bot. You can share with us on our Slack channel during our shows at gncast.com slash sign up. While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, we're going to spoil From Dust Till Dawn this week, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you are listening to this on the recording, there's going to be a link in the show notes so you can get it on Amazon. Also, Corey and I have potty mouths, and we tend to bring down our guest. Our guest generally succumbs to our potty mouthness too, and and this week, this week we got a good one. Uh, we are joined by the host of the Jukebox podcast and the host of the Geek Cinema Society, and also something that I recently found out about that I can't tell you about, so I'll let him do it. Brett Stewart. Brett, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I'm surprised I'm back on the show. I appreciate that. Hey, I uh, I was waiting. Like it, it's been a really long time, with the exception of last week where we didn't have a guest. So I'm just like starting to kind of go back through who's been on and have them come back so I'm, I'm came back yeah i it's my pleasure to be on i'm not entirely sure what you were referencing at the top of the program but i'm sure i can fill people in on it <laughs> oh your your political thing oh yeah right on so we are going to be doing a live broadcast this tuesday so if you're catching this right now it'll be uh available november 8th election night starting 6 30 p.m central all the way to the early hours of the morning on the Blazing Caribou Studios network that is partnered with a network that I'm on uh, called Our Political Essay. And basically what it is is we are going to do a live election night broadcast through the entire evening. We're going to bring guests on, hopefully. Uh, you know, Hopefully one of you guys can come on. We're going to play games. We're going to uh, uh, take callers. We're going to announce election results as they come down the wire. Uh, all that good stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Which for the I just realized the audio for this comes out the morning in which you're doing this then this tonight <laughs> tonight hopefully you're tonight, listening to this right when it comes out. out or if you're one of the two people watching live right now and i think those are probably just us monitoring our chat room yep yep you know what yeah you know what i'll actually do for you i will set this because i love you i'll set this episode to come out a hell of a lot earlier than we normally do so it'll hit people's feeds earlier they can listen to it earlier and they can go see what you are doing yeah, because everybody who listens to this show obviously has such urgency that it's the first thing you do as soon as the stream hits. <laughs> I assume so. I assume well, those people <laughs> have a, not a whole lot going on. I, I love every one of our listeners, but they're so excited for a new episode that... Speaking of election coverage, enjoy the words, those people, because you might be hearing it a lot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you want to catch that, we're going to be on alphageekradio.com starting 6.30 p.m. CST. Uh, again, it's going to have a lot of levity to it. It's not going to be your typical like CNN talking heads. We're not qualified to do that. Uh, it is CNN. We're going <laughs> to... That's very true. Uh, and it's going to be uh, a lot of fun for the community. Come join us in the chat room and hang out. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to try and get on there. Um, Brett and I were talking before. Uh, I may or may not be busy. I don't know. Our EP comes out Tuesday, which is all about how terrible politics 
<laughs> That's not even a joke. It's called Electing nope. Parasites. Every song is about tyrannical leaders. It's fucking great. We'll play some of it on the uh, live stream. Please do. Um, then you're, you're, say you have 50 listeners, that will definitely get you down to six. And I'll clear out yeah. a good portion of everyone that you have listening. Um, podcast of terror numbers right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you want to be like us, play shitty metal at the beginning. That's what we do. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I really like our opening band. I, I, I love those guys. They're friends of mine. I actually think we're going to be playing with them again soon. <laughs> they're here nor there. Actually, Brett, they're going on tour soon. So if they go to Chicago, I hope you'll go. Who is this? Reaping Asmodea. Um, oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally go. I, I'm guessing it'll be sometime in mid-December because they're playing in Wisconsin December 8th. Okay. Somewhere in there. Anyways, that's that's for a different podcast. That's our music podcast that we don't have. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. Yet. Soon we'll take over the world. Uh, let's go ahead and get into news. If you're new if you're new to this, uh, we talk about some news and then we actually have some feedback for you when we get there. But uh, and then we're going to cover our movie, which I'm pretty excited about. First up, they have the uh, Sony is releasing a uh, remake, reimagining however you want to look at it, of Flatliners, in which they have pushed the date back to, uh, looks like it's going to be pushed to September 29th of Zooming 2017, instead of August 18th. Um, there's a lot in this article that says that there may or may not have had issues or things that they wanted to rework, and that's why they moved it. Either way, they're just moving it back. Also, Sony is pushed uh, the release of The Dark Tower to July 28th. Now, my question to either of you, was The Dark Tower already made and this is a remake? No, it's the Dark Tower has now. been <clears throat> the Dark Tower has been in long production hell. Okay, uh, because okay. everybody who's who's like tried to work on it, and I I think it was mostly Ron Howard was the one who was really trying to get this out there, wants to do it as a series of movies, but interspersing TV series as well with it to be able to tell the whole story the way that it needs to be told, the way they feel it needs to be told. Um, I've never read the Dark Tower books. I read the most of the first book and kind of dropped off. It was right when I moved to California. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but the only Stephen King books I've ever made it through were Eyes of the Dragon and On Writing. Uh, but this is definitely a beloved series, and it's a huge series. And I think as part of it went along is that they did things that took place earlier in the books later on, like it went backwards in time or they told stories afterwards. And it's so convoluted that there's no way to just make a series of movies about it. Uh, but the what they're saying in this article, what they're suggesting at least, is that it's probably getting moved back not because it needs more work so much as but because they have more confidence in it and they wanted to come out at a uh, more primary time when it would be like the summer blockbuster feel. My only question is, is if they are planning to do series... Uh, is that pushing back when those series are going to be released? I've never read the books. I have never read a Stephen King book, but I love Stephen King movies based on books. I love the movies based on his books. So I'm, I am pretty excited. And I still have yet to see Flatliners. Now we have talked about this in a previous episode. It may or may not have been the last time Brett was on, but uh, I have been sitting on watching Flatliners since the, so I'm kind of a shitty person. So I'll, I promise I'll watch it before September 29th of 27. Relationship goals. <laughs> Uh, Flatliners is definitely a, uh, it was a 90s film that had a pretty, at that point in time, uh, pretty stellar cast. It had Kevin Bacon, Julia Roberts, Oliver Platt, Kiefer Sutherland, and I want to say some Baldwin. I don't know. They all look alike, but. Oh yeah, there's totally a Baldwin. <laughs> um, Billy, Jimmy, or Frank? 
Yeah, uh, Ignatz. So this one is going to be a continuation of that, and as I understand it, Kiefer Sutherland is going to be in it, but it's going to introduce a lot of new characters. Uh, Ellen Page is part of it, Diego Luna, Nina Dobrev. So it it continues the ideas, but it's nice that it's not just going to be a retelling of the same thing over again, although sometimes sequels are just a retelling of the same thing, yep. just that they'll add in, like, here's a character kind of like, comes in from the first one and tells you oh you shouldn't do that like uh the second um final destination i think it's pretty much what it was yeah. it's like here's just somebody randomly from the first one don't pay too much attention because they're gonna die uh, <laughs> it, it was billy baldwin by the way and uh brett have you ever seen flatliners i've never seen flatliners i've never read the dark tower but i'm very much looking forward to the adaptation of the dark tower i'm happy because as someone who is doing the diamond club movie draft anyone who picked dark tower just got screwed because yeah. now their replacement film i believe is la la land which looks decent oh, i guess but won't bring in any money in contrast like what the dark tower would have so i'm happy i didn't choose it i'm really happy <laughs> terrific terrific um let's go to our next one. next story which i don't know how i feel about this one I have quite the awkward boner of this next story. Uh, now, Corey, I know that you hate everything awesome, but uh, Brett, do you watch American Horror Story? That's why I love I've you, I've seen man. a couple episodes of it, but I've never actually watched it through a season. It's like crack cocaine. It's, it's so like you saying, now, Corey, you don't like it, right? Or you just have not watched it? Uh, no, I've, I've seen interspersed episodes here and there, especially of the first season, because my wife is is into it, although yeah. I don't know how she feels about it right now. Uh, especially this season, I guess, is a little weird, like severely weird. We're like seven episodes behind, so I know it's different. It's done very differently, but I've heard that it started out shitty and started to get pretty good. So we're still in the shit. Um, yeah. But I imagine that your love of The Walking Dead is similar to my love <laughs> of American Horror Story. It's like, I don't get why you like The Walking Dead. You may or may not get why I like American Horror Story. Are you talking to me? Because I don't like the walking dead was i drunk that one time yeah my wife started watching it again after we had both given it up uh i i oh, hit my you just, you just, walking okay. dead a few seasons ago okay. uh so but i i okay. did enjoy it for a while and i tried to continue enjoying it for as long as i could and then it just it was like how i met your mother at some point it just became so much of a burden so to try to take, watch take what i said and change you with your wife okay um what am i wearing in this situation i assume something uh, kind of leather know. a leather thong nice uh a lacy lacy socks nice pair of boots shouldn't you be dressing me in something that i don't normally wear i only ever seen um, from the titties up so <laughs> okay uh just to just to go back the the headline of this is that uh, american horror story is got another crossover coming they're going to be crossing over <laughs> murder house and coven uh which were two of the previous seasons but that's that's going backwards because what has been announced before this is that they're uh doing a crossover between the current season which is roanoke mm -hmm. and uh i think what was the other one that it's teaming up with is it asylum or fuck so uh so yeah the, asylum and roanoke are, yeah are and having... the, one, the other one they're doing is murder house and coven so wait are they having crossovers with their own show yeah because yeah, every because... season is a different it's the same actors playing a different set of characters in a different situation so i guess you can have a crossover with yourself right so at this point it's just into a normal show because all of the <laughs> inner like all the seasons are slowly going to start to connect now and that was the i guess that was always the point 
is that they somehow all interact and oh okay yeah it, it's hard to keep track because like it's not like season three color it's with season four it's like bits from season two will line up with parts from season six and uh right there's like the neighbor from season one ends up being someone in the asylum season the character named pepper so and then Pepper's also in Freak Show as like one of the freaks, and it's really fucking hard to pay attention to, especially if you like. I watch it, and then that's it. So, uh, and Brett, you were talking about that you're interested in seeing the the Dark Tower, and neither of you have read it. But one of the things I understand is that the Dark Tower is kind of like a crossover between a lot of the different Stephen King universe stories, um, so that everything's interconnected. That's that's something that I've heard say said by a lot of Stephen King fans is that the stuff is interconnected as well. Uh, or like we're going to be talking about from Dust till dawn today, a lot of the Quentin Tarantino stuff is interconnected. Yep. So it's right. not that unusual to do something like that. I think it's more interesting to me in this, that these are characters that are from different seasons that are played by the same actors. So how do they work that? Uh, do they only have specific actors playing the parts from one season, not meet their counterparts in another season, or do they, try to work around that and have them play both oh so wait back up a sec they actually have the same actors in different seasons playing entirely different characters yep oh that's fascinating is it just going to be one of them is wearing a baseball cap and one of them is not wearing a baseball cap and they're just going to interact that way it'll be kind of like uh jay and silent bob strikes back where we see two versions or three versions essentially of ben affleck and ben affleck's characters uh or we see a couple different versions of um Oh God, I can't think of his name now. Banksy uh, or Banky from Wow. Losing I, your street cred here. Three or four different versions of Banksy, the artist. <laughs> yeah, Banksy. He's just standing in the background painting different things, and it's all well. It's never really the same guy because we all know that's a bullshit identity. Um, <laughs> no, the guy from My Name Is Earl. Why can't I not think of his name right now? That's terrible. Earl. Uh, yeah, uh, Jason. Muse. No. J- yeah. Jason, no. No. Jason Lee. Jason Lee. God yeah, damn Jason it, that Lewis was a struggle. Jay. I love Jason Lee, actually. So do I. We're not there. But uh, kind of to, to re-answer your question, Brett, there's um, there's there's a guy, and I can't think of his real name, that plays one character in every season so far. But in one, in in the, the hotel epi- season, he plays like 40s businessman type guy, so he mustache or suits, and he's smoking cigarettes all the time. Great. The freak show season, he's Jimmy the Lobster Boy, so he's got like lobster claws and finger bangs chicks for money on the side which is true that he did but uh so so yes it's the same person playing multiple characters but there are things that differentiate him from from his other characters that i think you could have him talking to himself as multiple characters and it wouldn't be strange i can can i just ask did i just hear you say finger bangs with lobster claws yeah because he's got two fat fat digits what a weird ceviche this is that uh, uh i don't like that at all (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, it's there's like a whole scene where like these sad housewives have the come over. No, no problem. Cockle. I'm here to ruin your night with finger banging visuals and hey, awkward silence after saying finger. <laughs> Cock lobster. <laughs> so yeah, American Horror Story is getting not one but two crossovers between seasons. No word on when it's coming out. No word on anything. Yeah, we talked a little while ago about he's doing a secret season. Which I think that, is one of the crossovers. Yeah, I guess then, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, and then and then the next crossover will be in season. I'm guessing it'll just be in the middle of a, in between seasons because the seasons come out in fall, obviously. Ryan Murphy's a fucking... 
in the story. Uh, R.L. Stein, which if you don't know who R.L. Stein is, jump off a bridge. He's going to be doing some comic books for Marvel. I mean, his first comic books ever. Can you don't jump off a bridge? He made Goosebumps and Fear Street, and uh, he he also can never be the final question in Wheel of Fortune because the letters that they use practically spell his name entirely. <laughs> Every time I'm watching Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> it's R L S T E, and I'm like, "This is it, R L Stein? What is this?" <laughs> um, I feel like I should give credit to R L Stein for the fact that I am because I had like the first 75 Goosebumps books, and I had shit when I was all right, cool. I expected I fuck me running. I was the wrong age for Goosebumps. Goosebumps came out after I was. Uh, I was the perfect age because it. it started coming out. You're the perfect age for you know molesting in the back of the bike shop like Dudley on different strokes but wow that graphic my lobster finger banging got <laughs> weird reactions but it's okay for Corey to talk about molested behind a bike shop i have gordon jump on the brain because we're almost at thanksgiving and i keep thinking of wkrp That's but fine. so <laughs> uh yeah so i the reason i put the story in is because rl stein obviously is a big influence on horror and we talk about sometimes that we, we uh we want to try to promote horror for for younger readers and watchers and, and viewers, uh, not necessarily on this show. Sorry, kids probably shouldn't listen, except for the one episode. We did one episode that was for kids. But I think that it's great to get somebody who's who's such a master in this genre and find a new medium for him to do things. Now, he's worked on comics before, but this is kind of a big deal, him doing things for Marvel. Uh, so the first Goosebumps book came out in July of 1992, which I would have been seven. So that was like the perfect age. Now, Brett, you are roughly the same age. Did you ever read Goosebumps? I never read Goosebumps, no. Just saw the most recent film. Which was not good in my <laughs> I didn't think so. Uh... <laughs> Did I? I? I would rather go back and watch the made-for-TV movies that came out when I was a kid than watch that piece of shit. That... Right. Well, that, I'm actually... That... Uh... Oh, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say that movie I don't think was meant to be an adaptation of of Goosebumps. It was more of a Jumanji style movie that used Goosebumps and R.L. Stein as the backdrop for it, which is Dumb. very strange. Dumb. Right. Yeah, I'm reading R.L. Stein's Ask Me Anything that this mm-hmm. article we have two links to. He's awful at AMAs. Just every single response is a really vague one or two letter response. And he doesn't actually answer any questions. So hopefully so he's, he's perfect at AMAs. <laughs> yeah. Like people are asking him what his favorite Halloween candy is and stuff. Uh, AMAs. They can go one way or the other. And this went the way of it's not worth reading. The way of Reddit. The way of Reddit. Hey, there are some really insightful AMAs. I don't know if you guys have ever been on Reddit at like four in the morning when Snoop Dogg decides to do an AMA. But that is some insightful shit when he starts getting increasingly high and uh <laughs> And so, explains more and more of his innermost psyche and has an existential crisis on Reddit at like three in the morning. It's great. It happens like once every three weeks. <laughs> I'm usually not awake at 4 a.m. Not a good reason that I'm awake. Um, <laughs> there was one time I, I was involved in it like as it was happening. And my question never really got answered because it was the singer of the band Let Live. And uh, the first time I saw him play, they were playing in Milwaukee. Warp Tour. Brett, hey, have you ever been to Marcus Amphitheater, Brett? In no, I'm not. Okay, so it's obviously a big ass amphitheater, but if you see like a real band, there's big black, big black backdrops. Now for Warp Tour, they have them open, so you can see like the three tiers of dressing rooms and out the back for the semi loadings. And this motherfucker isn't—he's intense on stage, but he apparently just eats candy bars before he goes on stage. Like he doesn't drink soda; he only drinks water. He doesn't do drugs, but he eats candy bars before he goes on stage. 
and he runs around like a maniac. So he went up to the third story, and there's a video I can send you later of this, and like hangs off the edge, and then like does some shit, climbs back over, and runs all the way back down. So my question was, what was going through your fucking head? And he said like Shakespeare Act Three Part Four. It was his response. And if you watch the video, that's what he yells before he does it. And I'm like, that didn't answer my question at all. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like your most insightful AMAs are going to be people like Snoop Dogg, like Willie yeah. Nelson. Uh, so Elon Musk has pretty good AMAs. Uh, I found Trump's AMA to be absolutely hilarious. So they exist. There are decent AMAs. Yeah. Oh, no, they, they really do. I just they find them after the fact. And unless the yeah, questions are properly questions. upvoted, they're going to get buried and you're never going to find what you're looking yeah, the first 10 people get their questions answered because they all get upvoted yep. and then everything else gets drowned out. So um, this story. Yeah, he's drawing some shit. Cool. Doing comics. Good for him. I don't know if he's drawing, but yeah. <sighs> <laughs> he's doing comics. Now, are you guys properly seated? Because we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel I feel okay talking about this now. Ecto cooler. I'm not ready, man. Is it going? Okay, sorry. Corey, let me know when you're just ready. Not, I just can't handle it. All right, My heart's sure. too weak. Wow, that's probably from all the ecto cooler you've been drinking. <laughs> it might be. Your, your heart can no longer pump the amount of blood. Your teeth enamel is rotting away. Uh, but ecto cooler is going away in December. Moment of silence. Yeah, I didn't know uh, it was here actually until 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came back out in uh, May. It appears I found like one eight pack and I drank like three of them, and I'm like, I'm good for another 20 years. <laughs> uh, goodbye. Goodbye, wonderful marketing gimmick. You yeah. will be missed. Well, it's um. We talked about it when Casey Hansen from yeah. the Homicidal Homemaker was on was uh, a little that. bit. She says she has like twelve cases of the cans, and she's gonna buy more before it goes away again. They're really cheap on Amazon. Like at the bottom of that link, it lets you go on Amazon, and you can get a twelve pack for ten bucks. And on that on same six. exact link, if you scroll down, you can also get yeah. Crystal Pepsi. Eight packs yep. for ten dollars, so you can stock up on your '80s nostalgia. Have you drank um, Crystal Pepsi? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Is it weird that like these things that are are kind of? I mean, they're coming back out of nostalgia and everything, but it it kind of sucks that you could only get them through Amazon. Now I'm not an Amazon now Prime that's subscriber. Not, yeah, it's not true. I got Ectocooler well, at the grocery store by my house. Yeah, but you're in Wisconsin, so they just you, basically. You're you're in the heartland of well we've got dumb shit stuff. let's just drop it here in the next to Ecto Cooler. <laughs> they actually pump Ecto Cooler out of our ground. The heart disease land of Wisconsin. But I, I bet they I just, are pretty hard to find. I mean, someone in our chat right now is talking about how they couldn't find any Crystal Crystal Pepsi or. Uh, yeah, but she lives in Ecto fucking Cooler. Maine. You know what else is in Maine? Nothing. Uh, probably lobsters that will uh, finger bang you. Rock lobsters. Cock lobster. Uh, just. We were at the beach and everybody had matching towels. Oh boy, <laughs> I, I just think that it, it's too bad because the reason why the Ecto Cooler came back was the marketing of the new Ghostbusters movie, and because we probably will not be seeing a sequel to the new Ghostbusters movie anytime soon. Uh, that this this is going to go away, and like I don't know that does High C exist in general anymore. I yes, I yeah. never see it. There's That's like Hawaiian punch to me. High C on our grocery store. Oh. Holy shit! Yeah. I, I just—it's—it's it's like the nostalgia of Tang to me. I don't—I don't really have the memories of this so much when it was out, but when it went away, everybody was so bummed out about it. And I know what it's like to lose shit that you like. Uh, it, it's just—it's too bad, and it's—it's it's weird that they can't find other ways to market the stuff 
uh, that isn't just related to the Ghostbusters license. Okay, what exactly is Thermal Ink, and why are they advertising that on these cans? That is not reassuring. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, thermal ink, I think, is the stuff that when you get it cold or get it warm, it, oh. the picture changes, the stuff dissolves. Right. Slime appears. Right. Oh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Matt has that on his underwear. No, that's jizz. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Either one of these is great under a black light. <laughs> cool. I'll order one on Amazon Prime and make someone deliver it to me. Yes. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> So goodbye, Actual Cooler. We hardly... Hopefully Casey has uh, enough of it in there that she can re- reverse engineer it and find out how to make something that tastes extremely similar to it uh, so we can keep it around on our own. Probably Surge. Oh, God. Have you drank Surge <laughs> since it came back out? No, I have not, oh, but I'm just imagining that that's probably what Actual hurt. Cooler sounds like or uh, tastes like. Uh, Actual Cooler <laughs> is more citrusy where Surge is more just sugar. Okay. Um, I mean... But yeah, one of the best things that happened to me in the last couple of years is when they brought back Mountain Dew with real sugar and then they put it in the glass bottles, which is even better because that's what I grew up with. I like my sugar fake, my soda diet. If, if you're drinking a lot of fake sugar, it's probably not a real diet either. No, I, I, I really cut back on my soda. Now I drink seltzer water like a fucking prick. Oh, man. She probably just I moved just... to the north side of sugar, huh, Brett? <laughs> yeah come on over <laughs> wait do you live on the north side of chicago i'm sorry yes i, do. I didn't know you were on the north side I thought you were really on the north side of chicago right now damn it well like, line insults coming how, from the podcast how north are you how close to kuma's corner are you kuma's corner what is kuma's corner Whoa. you don't I know who kuma's right corner now. is Brad, oh Brad, i see Brad. Burger place. all right let's see where uh we're we're going oh, we are going to kuma's corner and it's a heavy metal themed burger joint. Dude, it's one of the best burgers I've ever eaten. Now, the first time oh, I went there was only the one that's on Belmont. And Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to the one on Belmont. Yeah, so the one on Belmont doesn't have like any proper exhaustion or exhaust for their smoke. So the first time I went through there's just a big fan blowing it out the front door. Perfect. The one on Diversity is much cleaner, and then the one in Schaumburg is alright, and then I actually went to the one in Angeles too now. There's nothing metal about clean. Dude, they have a burger called Slayer. Unless it's like the striper corner. The, uh, the Slayer Burger is served with hate. Yeah. What, what? Yeah, okay. Uh, and I know... Fuck. How do you serve something with hate? Is it just like a napkin? Just like they scream at it before they give it to you? <laughs> Alright, the Slayer is a, 12, a 10 ounce burger patty on a bed of fries with chili, cherry peppers, caramelized onions, and dewy sausage, shred, shredded Monterey Jack cheese, green onion, and anger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, the, the food is actually phenomenal. It was on one of those burger uh, burger shows, like best burgers in America. Um, there's apparently a guy who flies from Florida. He like flies into uh, O'Hare, takes a cab, eats at Kuma's, f- goes back to the airport, gets on a flight, and goes home. So that they import the anger is what you're saying. Yes, yes, but yeah, I love it. Florida's yeah. probably the best place to get it. It's most affluent. But Brett will have to go because the, the food is actually phenomenal. And yeah, that sounds great. I'm totally down. For- <laughs> Let's move on to the the real part of the show before that i had to read an email we got from uh our buddy greg murder his lap Corey, do you have any guesses on this one sukja sukja sukva is it a y or a v it's a y oh okay sukja brett you know how to say this one no i was googling it i have no idea <laughs> uh, one of those like how to pronounce things videos on youtube right. well greg's name is oh here we go s-o-o so su so like food, okay. suhi hishta. No, that's bullshit. I don't know. 
I don't know. Suckajuia. Pronounce names.com. Suckatad. Greg, we need you to email back in and let us know how to pronounce your last name. Give us the phonetic. Sanctimonious. <laughs> I'm going to go with Suckya. Okay. That actually might be That's right. That's good. We'll edit this, this review now. We, we've definitely improved our, our viewer relationship by insulting Greg for his last name when he wrote us such a kind note. I'm not insulting him. I'm trying to build a relationship. Him and I talked about lifting. Anyways, that'll make more sense when I read this. Uh, Greg emailed and said, Hi, Matt and Corey. Just wanted to say thanks for having such an entertaining and enjoyable podcast. I routinely have to commute 90 minutes to three hours each day for work. Ouch. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I remember those times. That is, a, that is a rough life. Yeah, he says, uh, being able to hear people with a decent sense of humor, bullshit, and movies and other nonsense is actually very enjoyable. I like that he said we have a decent sense of humor. We're not funny. It's just decent. We're it's decent. It's right. I've worked so hard to become indecent at this, and it, it feels like a failure on our parts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a side note, I live in Nina, which if I, we've talked about it multiple times, but it's like 10 minutes. I play soccer in summer, and um, so it's not far from where I live. Uh, and he says he thinks that it's awesome. It's someone else in the Fox Valley, which another Wisconsin thing I have to explain. It's like a series of cities. They call it the Fox Valley. Whatever. Uh, a, knows who Matt Vincent is. B, actually knows Matt Vincent. Enjoy all the podcasts, but period, uh, particularly the episodes of Matt. Um, thanks, Greg. It's uh, really fucking cool to hear. It's been nice talking to you. Keep in touch. Um, now, this might actually be a chance for me to see a hate shirt in the wild. We talked about that with Matt the last time he was on. It would be nice. It, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I love supporting Matt. And honestly, his clothes kind of kick a lot of fucking oh, ass so anyways. Fucking nice. uh, oh, every time he puts out new stuff. Yeah, and the but the new shorts that he's got out look phenomenal. Uh, I wish they had pocket. Yeah, well, you know, that's what you have. Well, I like pockets to carry my things around, and, and they're super short. So a lot of times my boxers <laughs> hang out the bottom. <laughs> Not my balls, just my boxers. I'm um, more worried about the latter, but that's fine. Have such Maybe I shouldn't have turned 45. Fuck you in the ass. Wow. Um, <laughs> switching gears. Um, let's talk about From Dust Till Dawn. Now, this is Brett's choice, which, as you know, we make our guests pick their movies. This is the first time I've seen this movie in its entirety. Okay. Wow. Yes, which I'm sure is probably a bad thing on my part. I'm a shitty horror fan, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think about I liked it, but I'm also a man of few words. Unless it's something <laughs> dumb, then I have a lot of words. But It's just because I interrupt you so much. Yeah, I, I picked this film because the, if I was to write down like my top three or four favorite films ever, this would be one of them. Uh, I just love everything about this movie. I think it's... I think what the best part about this movie for me is that it's important to say like yes it's a tarantino film because he wrote it and he also you know co-stars in it but it is a robert rodriguez directed film uh, a series of films they did during this time in the 90s together and for me the great thing about from dusk till dawn is it starts off as a very unconventional thelma and louise type escape to mexico and then just there's this abrupt moment, like just a very abrupt at the exact halfway point of the movie where it just shifts entirely into this, you know, vampirified, you know, next 45 minutes of gore porn. And uh-huh. I love that about this film. I think it's hilarious that it just so abruptly switches and everybody slowly starts to band together in this weird Stockholm syndrome around George Clooney. It's just great. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So, um, Last night we watched Sausage Party, and then this morning we watched this. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, my wife is like, you've made me watch very, very weird movies in the past. Um, but I've seen 
bits of the beginning and I've seen bits of the middle and I never saw anything after Salma Hayek turns into the vampire and shit just goes off off the road. Oh my God. I know, I know. The best I know. parts of the movie. I know, and I completely agree. But I do what I do remember and I laughed hysterically is uh, Cheech Marin's speech about pussy. Yeah. And yep. at the end when he goes, if you can find pussy cheaper, fuck it. <laughs> oh, right. This is fucking great. And there's so many of those in this film. Like, yes. there's the scene, uh, there's the Vietnam vet scene where he's like, this reminds me of when I was in Nam. And then he just slowly starts going to this, like, Vietnam, like, caricature speech while, uh, while the guy, you know, turns into a vampire behind them. And then sex there's machine. all these, yep. yeah, there's all these, right, there's sex machine. There's all these great scenes with, uh, with Richard Gecko Tarantino, uh, where he's just, clearly out to lunch in a really bizarre uncomfortable way and he plays that character so well uh and then a young a young george clooney just owns the movie in so many ways it's just so many of those little performances are so cool to watch in this i agree yeah it it took me a little bit to realize that tarantino was purposefully off the rails like the whole uh what was it do you want to be part well, yeah, he's crazy. Well, you do me a favor and eat my pussy yeah, for me. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and right. now, later on in the in the camper, he's like, "Did did you mean what you, you said, said there? Because I'd be willing to do that for you." What did I say? Yeah. Um, so the Gecko Brothers themselves. Uh, first of all, I wonder how much of this was like, okay, I don't want to use the Vega Brothers, but I want to have something at least similar to the idea that you would have with the Vega brothers. Now we've never seen the Vega brothers together, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of like this almost feels like it could have been them to a certain degree because John Travolta would have probably been the, the Clooney character. And then uh, Michael Madsen, I think who played, I think it was Vega was Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs is the batshit crazy one. Uh, because he's just the one who's just like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to torture this guy and cut off his ear and shit. Um, and the the characters themselves, the way they interact with each other is is a little bit Pulp Fiction. There's a point where they just turn around, they pull the guns together yeah. and just start firing and just empty all Especially the rounds in one guy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's so Tarantino that it's like a lot of people, I think, assume that Tarantino directed this or at the very least directed the first half of it because that's kind of what it feels like and we get more of that later on when we get to grindhouse uh with the the two movies because tarantino did one and then uh rodriguez did the other one but this being their first real collaboration together it just like the opening first hour or so of the movie is a tarantino movie you know it's just that's what it is and so much of it is so great even though it's over-the-top action and a little bit less of what we had grown to expect from him at that point. It just, you can see the makings of things where he was going to go with the other crazier films like Kill Bill and stuff, which I think we talked about this recently about the Tarantino universe is there's the Tarantino stuff that's supposed to be taking place in the real world. And then there's the Tarantino movie verse, which is the stuff that's super insane. And so you go from Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and True Romance, which is the real world stuff. But then you get the Kill Bill, like Fighting Ninjas, and From Dust Till Dawn. And I'm not sure where Inglorious Bastards lines up on it. Inglorious, but... probably more. To... <sighs> yeah, probably more towards the real world ish, I guess, because there's nothing like quite as as sci-fi. Inglorious Bastards you know? and uh, what's the one that he just did last Christmas? It was uh, the uh, Western Django. No, no, not because Django is more than a couple. Oh, you're talking about Hateful Eight. Eight. Yeah, Yeah, those because they take place in the past, 
make it feel like it, it can still be the real world, uh, but there's still a hyper violence to to both of them that I think is it just almost cartoony. But certainly anything, and this is one of the things that I wanted to get to is uh, the the uh, oh god, what is it? Earl McGraw character that's in this at the beginning when they go to the party store and they're holding the two girls hostage and they've got the guy who works there trying to get rid of this cop and the Earl McGraw character keeps showing up in other Tarantino films after this, even though he's killed in this movie because he shows up in the beginning of kill bill with a son. He shows up in both the grindhouse movies, uh, which is strange because he's alive in both of those things. And in one of them, he fights zombies. So you got to imagine the world's in a pretty fucked up place at that point. And you don't see any of that reflected here other than the fact that there's a bunch of vampires in this one. Uh, but Tarantino, it's just so perfect for what he does until it goes straight up over the top horror movie when they introduce vampires. And they just kind of like say, oh, shit, here's a bunch of vampires. And nobody reacts like, oh, what's a vampire or how can this be or anything? They, Clooney makes a great speech of don't tell me you don't believe in vampires because I don't fucking believe in vampires. But obviously, these are all vampires that we're fighting. And they react to it so quickly, like when Juliette Lewis's character is fighting one initially and she pulls the cross off of her neck and shoves it in its mouth. She just instinctually knows this is the only thing I can think of to fight a vampire. So I'm going to try it out. Yeah. And I think one of the best parts about the film is that it doesn't acknowledge that shift. It just happens. And that's what I love about it is that when you show this film to someone who has no context as to what it is and that shift happens where Selma Hayek turns into a vampire and just immediately devolves into complete and utter chaos and stays that way for the whole rest of the film. That's great. It's great, especially for people, again, that have never seen it before. And you mentioned the cast and you mentioned how some of the people interconnect with other films either Tarantino or Rodriguez have done. Uh, Rodriguez in particular has the inability not to cast uh, several people. Uh, right. For example, Danny Trejo, uh, you yes. will not find, I mean, there are films without Danny Trejo with Robert Rodriguez, but not many. He's uh, the only one who shows up in all three of the From Dust Till Dawn movies. Right. But I don't think Rodriguez did the next two Dust Till Dawn movies. No, he and Tarantino just produced them. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, Danny Trejo's great in it. You know, Sex Machine's great. I, I love the Fuller family. I think they're absolutely hilarious. Um, and I, again, I love this this feeling of of complete Stockholm syndrome as the Fuller family just starts to actually enjoy their time with the geckos, which has always been very amusing to me. And then there's really like especially aggressive things that the film makes light of. For example, toward the beginning of the film when uh when richard kills the was it the maid um the woman no, that the had, woman that kidnapped from the bank right the woman they had the sorry kidnapped in the back of the bank from the trunk and he just kills her and he rapes her and kills her right and it's it's so horrifying that george clooney who is a hardened killer himself can barely stomach it when he walks in the room and he sees that it's happened and they show just flashes of the room and the blood and everything else. They're not even really giving you a full view of it until afterwards. You're just getting from his viewpoint, like he's trying to take it all in and he can't understand what it is now. And that's to me, one of the most fascinating things about this movie is the relationship between uh, Seth and, and Richie is that Richie saved Seth, got him out of jail, broke him out. 
But it seems like Seth probably got in there and probably got into a lot of trouble in his life because Richie is so fucked up. And Richie is mentally fucked up. He doesn't perceive the things that he's doing as crazy. And he's constantly like, oh, we don't we don't want to kill this guy. But in my mind, I see him mouthing the words, help us to the cop. And so I'm just going to come up and kill the cop. You know, he's trying to create in his his brain is trying to create situations where he can just go and do the most demented shit. Oh, well, she tried to escape. So I had to do this. No, you didn't have any reason to rape this woman, let alone kill this woman. But you're excusing it because your mind is that fucked up. And that is to me, there's a very fascinating story that this starts out telling. But then it just like completely disarms the rest of that by saying, oh, uh, we're going to we're going to kill Richie as soon as the vampires show up and it becomes a completely different thing. I don't think that's bad. I think that's actually really fascinating that they did it that way. But it is it's like I would have liked to have seen the the exploration of these characters in any other film, because I think that there's something really wildly I'm not going to say entertaining because Richie is fucked up. But it is it makes for good story. Yeah, I one thing I would throw out there for people who would like to learn more about the story that is happening before the film switches is there is there is a TV show. I'm afraid to watch it because I'm terrified it's going to ruin one of my favorite movies for me and or not. I hate when people say it. it's not going to ruin the movie for me, but it's going to taint the whole perspective of From Dust Till Dawn, which is one of the reasons I have not watched the sequels. I just love this film so much in its own little space. But the idea of the show is that it is it's the same story, but it delves really deep into the relationship that those two have prior to all the vampires and stuff showing up. Yeah, it's it's hit three seasons, and I think it's it's done as of this third season is that they finished up with it. I watched the first couple episodes, and it's not that it's bad, but it's if you've seen the movie and you enjoyed the movie, it's unnecessarily long. Now they're inserting other characters or doing other things to make it stretch out. Uh, my biggest fault with it, of course, is that it has one more Valderrama in it, and I just can't handle that guy in anything. <laughs> uh, but it it's it's perfectly okay. And it's funny because one of the things that they're trying to do in this is they're trying to get to El Rey in Mexico. And that is the name of Rodriguez's network is the El Rey network that the show is on. So that's another thing of, of they've got their things that they're into that they want to keep coming back to and stuff. I, I can't say that the show is bad. And I heard that it actually improved past the point where I stopped watching it. It's just I don't know, man, if, if I was going to watch these characters it would have been really cool to just watch it happen with Clooney and Tarantino who I thought were both really good in this and this is this is Clooney like at the point where he was still blowing up but hadn't fucked up by doing Batman and Robin yet <laughs> which was a year <laughs> later um which uh, I I've seen Batman and Robin so many times because at the time it was my ex's son's favorite movie and he played it on videotape over and over again every day uh I don't really blame Clooney for that movie's problems. The, the problems were all uh, Schumacher and, you know, the, the film he wanted to make was the just... The department didn't film. help much either. Yeah. Or, or, or just the parts. The the stuff with Arnold and everything was just... It was messed whoa. up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You were blanking out there. Yeah, well, I mean, again, they hired him to play the role as he did but he was a he was a lousy mr freeze but it was because they made him to be a lousy mr freeze i'm, I'm not, not disagreeing not i just wanted better. to give you shit and argue with it yeah um but in this it, it's 
it's cute because we get to see things like Tarantino wrote the part for himself. Uh, he <sighs> one thing that we all kind of know or can guess at a Tarantino is that he has kind of a foot fetish, a, a foot obsession. Oh, God. Oh, oh. I know what you're talking about. And he, part fucking gross. Yeah. So gross. So, I don't know that it's it's gross necessarily. It's so disgusting high. to me. No, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So the, there, there's a scene written in the movie where he has Salma Hayek basically stick her foot in his mouth when she's pouring champagne down her leg and everything. And it's just, you know, I guess if you're the director and you you have your kinks and you have the opportunity to write in a way to utilize Salma Hayek for one of your kinks, uh, and she agrees, great. You know, just yeah. go for it, man. Or maybe it was Rodriguez doing him a solid. I don't know. But it's it is like it's the beginning of seeing i think who these people really are because we we thought we had a good idea of who tarantino was before this you know the things that he had done uh the things that he had directed certainly we we felt like okay this is a tarantino movie and in this movie is when we see okay this is a tarantino movie until it's not a tarantino movie and the fact that he wrote the whole thing but didn't direct any of it means either uh rodriguez knows tarantino stuff so well that he can just emulate it or Tarantino had more depth than what we had given him credit for as to what kind of stories he could do. And I think that after this, we started to see the things that he could do that went way beyond uh, what our expectations were. Right. Yeah, I I love Tarantino's films as a whole. And this is almost a this film almost kicked off my love for him in many ways. Uh, and one thing we did learn yesterday is that Tarantino is very serious about the 10 films, 10 major films within his career thing, because he did come out again yesterday and say, reiterate, I'm doing two more and I'm done. Yes. Did he say Which, what two he's doing though? No, no, he did not. I didn't know if there was talk of things. He and keep in mind with Tarantino that that could mean anything because he's also said that he'll do late in life projects that are not connected to his older projects. And he's also like, when you look at the chronology of how he's picking those 10, you know, he does things like he combines the kill bills and stuff like that, oh. uh, which is fair because they are basically one movie and that's the way they're shot. And that's the way they're supposed to be presented. He can but, do whatever he wants. He's Quentin Tarantino. Right. Right. So I, I hope he continues to make stuff even far beyond uh, what this ever, this arbitrary 10 is based on whatever his metric is to count them. I mean, hopefully he'll do like little parts where he just acts and he does a Mr. Destiny turns on the radio again. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But at, at the very least, I, one of my favorite Tarantino projects was Four Rooms, which is not just Tarantino, but what he does works in the context of having these four different directors tell these four different interconnected stories. And I think it's just kind of it's amazing how it all culminates into his story and pays off everything that had been building up to it along the way. And even though they're all different things, the way that they link together, it just feels very natural having it happen. So I don't think he's going to just retire and go away, No, I but don't he's so. not going to force himself to to do anything else. The flip side is that he's kind of promised a, a Vega Brothers movie, and he's promised the third Kill Bill movie. So I hope that those things pay off. But he did also say when Hateful Eight, the script got released, that he wasn't going to make it. And then he turned around and came back and, and did. So he's been known to change his mind before. And I don't think yeah. that there's anything wrong with changing your mind. I just always worry about when you make such broad statements of it's this and then I'm done. Uh, Kevin Smith has quit filmmaking a couple of times and then found his way back to it. it I don't know that you need to make those kind of statements. It, it's not like it's going to say, oh, I have to go see this. 
Tarantino movie because it, it could be his last movie, according to him. That's like saying, I have to go out and see the Rolling Stones play because it's their last tour until right. five years later when it's their last tour. And then another seven years when it's their last tour. And then uh, Barbara Streisand is is intermingling with her last tours along those way. It like, But who's not going to go see the Stones or Barbara if you're Stones or Barbara fans? And I think the same with Tarantino. It, it doesn't matter how many more films he makes because the stuff he makes, he plans, he thinks about their quality. They may not all be my favorite movies. Uh, certainly there are some that I like more than others, but they all are honestly very good and they're all very good representation of him as a storyteller. Right. And one thing I very much appreciate about Tarantino is that you do have filmmakers who have a tendency to, to lessen the quality of their work under certain circumstances, whether that be economic, whether that be uh, they're pushed to do something by a studio or whatever other circumstance causes them to create quote unquote bad movies. Tarantino has for a large part made himself somewhat exempt of that. There isn't necessarily a bad Tarantino movie that has done poorly with critics has done poorly with Tarantino fans because uh, something about his work is just, uh, he puts so much care and effort into these stories and you know that he is putting his heart and soul into doing them. And if they're not going to go the way he doesn't want them to go, they're not going to go at all. And that's something I do really appreciate about his artistry. And I wish more people would do because the work for, speaks for itself. I think he's honest. I, I think that when he does a movie, he's very honest about what he's trying to do. And if he's doing an homage to other films, he doesn't step back from that. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to pretend, oh, this isn't like uh, these kurosawa films or whatever it's like yeah that's exactly what i'm doing and i'm going to blatantly show you what what i'm referencing from but it's all 100 percent genuine in how he he writes it how he gets people to act in it and he's got total buy-in for these these movies right. i think that that's really important because i think a lot of projects are you know there's complaints that Companies have stepped in and overridden the directors on films recently, like Suicide Squad or a lot of the different superhero movies in general. And it's right. it's tough because it's like, well, you put a filmmaker in there to make a movie and now you're second guessing everything that they're doing at the last minute so that when it comes out, it's not really their film, but they still got to have their name on it. And that's that's unfair. And Tarantino I think worked with the right people very early on. I mean, earned his place because he wrote some really good stuff and got good reactions, but he worked with the right people who said, yeah, we're going to let you make the movie that you are determined to make. If you walk into any kind of, of a Hollywood production company and tell them the first time, okay, I'm going to make this movie called Pulp Fiction and most of it's going to be out of order and the most popular characters are not going to be along in it the whole way. And at one point, one of them's going to die, but I'm going to, change at the end and show you like something earlier in the day with that person they're gonna shit they're gonna go how the fuck are you gonna sell that to anybody yeah did memento come out before pulp fiction i think memento was after fiction google uh, as i recall i saw i mean i saw pulp fiction in the theater uh before i moved to california and i saw memento quite oh, a ways wow. after yeah I memento came california. out seven years later i didn't realize they were that far yeah. apart Right. And one thing we can also draw here is there's there's a parallel to be made to an extent with Robert Rodriguez, uh, which he worked with on this film, obviously. Uh, Rodriguez has not been as critically successful for very obvious reasons. As you can see, the first half of this movie and the second half of this movie, Rodriguez tends to shoot a little bit lower brow. Uh, 
I think when he goes lowbrow, he does it so well that it's his own version of of like lowbrow that is highbrow. Uh, but when you look at Rodriguez's work, uh, all of his films are very meticulously planned around these ideas that he has, and they're all somewhat kind of connected. And you can tell they're a Rodriguez film in more ways than one. And I think him and Tarantino in the '90s, when they were doing this stuff together, just produce some of the most fascinating stuff. I really appreciate them as collaborators. I would love to see them collaborate again now that they're both massive names in the industry. And uh, Rodriguez hasn't done anything massive in a couple of years. Um, what was the last Rodriguez film? I, I can think of maybe Predators, which was, yeah, I liked Predators. Most people didn't, but I liked it. No, I, did, I didn't hate Predators. I actually kind of enjoyed it more than I expected to. It was it was an unexpected way to do that kind of like that story, this thing that we already have all these expectations on. It, it felt both classic in the way that it used the predator by going out to the jungle and everything, but it totally. brought something new to it. That wasn't just a repeat of the first one. Uh, I think that's exciting. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting because that's kind of like what they done with alien, the alien movies are all very different from each other. Now, the, the quality certainly changes as they go along, but each one is different enough from the ones before it that even though the alien itself is the common theme, they're all different kind of takes on that. And I think that that's, that's compelling in a way. It, it, it may make it so that your expectations don't get met when you go into the next movie if you're expecting to be like uh, aliens with the, the space marine themes and then the next one is all of a sudden on a prison planet. But I think that that's cool. The other thing I like about Robert Rodriguez is when he decided to step away from doing things like El Mariachi and the Desperado stuff to make kids movies because he wanted right. to make films for that's his kids. kids. I, I think that's really that's hugely respectful because this is a guy who's at what was at that point in time a very high point in the industry. And he could have just kept doing what he was doing and kept that audience just going from film to film. And instead, he's like, yeah, but here are my kids. I want to make movies for them. And uh, I'm going to do this instead. And it still kept his his same style. It kept the, the mentality of him as a filmmaker. But it applied it in a such a way that could be to a very different audience. And I thought that was incredible. So Absolutely. To answer your earlier question, Robert Rodriguez has made Machete, Another Spy Kids, Machete Kills, and Sin City, A Dame to Kill For since the movie. Okay, right on. Uh, and... One thing I would throw out to the listeners before we delve too deep into a Robert Rodriguez rabbit hole is that if, if you're interested in Rodriguez, one thing I would definitely recommend reading is uh, Rebel Without a Crew. It was a book that he wrote about the creation of El Mariachi, and it's a real short read. It's fascinating if you're interested in him, interested in filmmaking, interested in El Mariachi, because he made that film for about $7,000, shot it on actual film, which was very expensive to do at the time, uh, still very expensive. And uh, he was well, one-man crew, Rebel Without a Crew. So he did everything. And, and the way he funded that movie was putting himself in medical trials. Uh, you know those like pay us 200 we'll pay you 200 dollars for a weekend if you come be our guinea pig uh he did that over and over and over again and went through a lot of crazy stuff in order to get el mariachi actually funded and when you watch el mariachi it looks for the most part like a like a decent studio uh endeavor and i believe it was actually sold don't quote me on this i think it was columbia bought it for like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. the rights to it uh, for a seven thousand dollar film and uh, 
that kicked off his career and that allowed him to go and make Desperado. So I would highly recommend reading that book for an insight into how a indie filmmaker in the 90s against all technological odds was actually able to make a really cool movie. And 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 take people, you know, like uh, I don't remember was were the actors in Desperado, were they also in El Mariachi or was it a different actor in the lead? Different actors in the lead. Yeah, uh, because I believe because El, 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 uh, Bill <laughs> Desperado has Antonio Banderas right in the lead. Um, but wasn't and, he in? And he was in the the later one, the the third uh, one. Once upon a time in Mexico. I mean, yeah, um, right. along with along with three. Johnny Depp. Yeah, oh, which is See, wow. I didn't realize that El Mariachi was was first and Desperado was then second. I assumed Desperado was on film. Yeah, it's part of a trilogy. Huh. It's in, right in the middle. And uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico gets increasingly weirder because then it starts like J- uh, Johnny Depp's character in that film. Very peculiar. It's one of Depp's more peculiar roles, and that says a lot. <laughs> uh, and he was able to make Desperado the way he wanted to make it because of the money he got from El Mariachi. So he's a great dude, yeah. great director. Uh, check out his movies. Good listeners. There's all sorts of good stuff in there. But it is kind of funny because... Th- El Mariachi aside, the people that he brought out in Desperado, uh, Selma Hayek and Antonio Banderas, he kind of was the instigator of them becoming stars. And for a while, at least they were both pretty huge stars. And they're not, there's no discounting them now, but they started out and stuff with him. Right, exactly. Yeah, he made a lot of stars. And one thing you should give him, I mean, that's worth giving him credit for is he made a lot of stars uh you know hispanic stars people who uh kind of broke into that whitewashing of hollywood is rather you know big stars people like antonio banderas uh which is really awesome you know robert rodriguez if he has roles for people of of color or people uh you know of hispanic descent or something like that uh he will put them in those roles which you cannot say like Ridley scott you can't say the same for some people uh, and I've always loved that about him as well. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask a question because it's been a long time since I've seen it. Have either of you ever seen the movie Vamp starring Grace Jones from 1986? Nope. Nope. Okay. So Vamp to me, and and again, I'm going off of memory here and it, it could be really cloudy. Vamp has a lot of things that are kind of similar to From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, it is a obviously a vampire movie it is a female led uh character is the is the main vampire in it much like some hayek is in this and it starts out sort of like a frat comedy for the first half and then becomes a horror movie sort of at the halfway point in it uh it's it's certainly got things that it owes to fright night and i'd say that fright night 2 probably ripped it off a little bit uh maybe even more than this did but i watch this and i keep thinking oh yeah this scene oh wait no that's from vamp and I just, I'd like to kind of delve back into this one. It's not something I've seen on TV in forever, but to see how it compares now, because it's been a long time. Very interesting. I like Google image search some pictures and it looks fucking strange. <laughs> I mean, it was 86. It was a weird time. It was a weird time. When did uh, <laughs> From Dust Till Dawn come up? 96. 96. Yeah. So, and one thing I did want to throw out there, and I'm, uh, I, we're probably wrapping up this soon, I, I would imagine. But one thing we should talk about before the show ends is uh, the ending of this film. I've always found so interesting that the back of the titty bar is uh, an Aztec temple. Yeah, with I just thought this, that was weird. Yeah, with just this giant 
uh, essentially boneyard of, of dead truckers who at all, cause and which alludes to the fact that this happens on a regular basis. Yeah. So like at, over the course of many years, if not centuries. And I yeah. just love that part of it. I think it, like, now, I think that gets explored in the, in the sequels. Uh, they, they go back and they tell the story. Uh, they tell the, the story of Satanico's ancestor and um that's an awesome and how a lot of the stuff came came about uh but it it makes a certain degree of sense and when you go into this and you're when you start paying attention to it later on like the part where they try to get rid of uh the gecko brothers and the the fullers in the bar at the beginning like this place is only for truckers and bikers it's because those are people that are very easy to disappear you know and this this bar is not well known and it's something that uh, Cheech Marin's third character in this, Carlos, because uh, he plays three different parts in this. I liked that because uh, I think Cheech uh, Marin's hilarious. Yeah. Cheech Marin is hilarious. I, I would have liked to see them separate a little bit more because, I mean, he's so it's so easy to distinguish Cheech Marin in anything that he's in to see him play three characters that all just look like Cheech Marin, essentially. Yeah. Maybe they could have done something else with that. But so he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've never been here. I just drive by the place but i figured what the fuck it's a titty bar out in the middle of nowhere and it's off the radar from the cops and stuff no one's going to come mess with it but like if you are leading people to what is uh, a feeding frenzy yeah you're just going to say oh go over to this titty bar they're open from dusk till dawn every night and no one will hear from you again you know that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's not the only point to them but that is kind of it it's like and and i like when they find the room even though it felt a little bit A-team, is when they find a room full of stuff and they're saying, well, how can we use this to kill and fight these vampires? (laughs) Here's smirk guns and we can make holy water. And here's, what the fuck was the thing with the steak that was sort of like an electric chainsaw, but it just like pounding the steak back and forth? That was the most unruly thing I've ever seen to kill anything. That was like just the dumb shit. It's like the person who goes to fight zombies with with a weed whacker. It's like some point that's going to fuck up for you. And it was just so bizarre. It's like it's it just pounds the stake, but I have to aim it correctly to hit people. <laughs> I just didn't understand that one. Like right. Sex Machine's gun was way cooler. And that I think was already used in one of the previous El Mariachi movies. Yeah. Yep. I love it. I love that scene. I love when I love when Jacob is going around blessing the uh the squirt guns. This is a great movie. <laughs> and 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 cutting crosses into the bullets to make the bullets effective against the vampires. Right, right. Weird things that were like, okay, I don't know if that actually like in the the ideas and things would work, but why not try it? Why not make it you you go for every effort that you can. I liked when Sex Machine is saying, Oh, it's silver. Does silver work against right, vampires? It's like, do we have any silver? <laughs> then then fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> what why are we even arguing about it? Exactly. <laughs> So much of this is just so good and, and and for different reasons. Like the the opening scene in the in the party store is really good. Like the the guy arguing with them, like, I'm not giving any signals. I'm trying to do what you told me to do. And I'm keeping my cool really fucking well for the fact that you guys have guns on these girls in the back, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna die here. And then it as a horror movie, it's really good because it it feels like a very typical horror movie, but is still well done. And it's silly over the top stuff, like when the band starts playing after they've transformed into vampires and they're using what is essentially a dead body as the guitar that he's playing. Just like out of nowhere, like, oh, let's just do this. It's so 
dumb, but it's so perfect because at this point in time, what are the movies that we're getting? We're getting probably the Bordello of Blood uh, is around this era of horror films. Like the the 90s horror, a lot of the stuff had gone to things like Scream, uh, the, the Faculty, which is also a Rodriguez film. Uh, Frighteners, uh, Hellraiser, Bloodline, Stephen King's Thinner, Pinocchio's Revenge, The Dentist. <laughs> the oh, Dentist. Summer oh, 2 came out. Uh, but this is like, this is straight up, like, if we're going to do a vampire horror movie and we want to go over the top action with it, like a room full of vampires and they kill them all. They kill uh, Satanica really fast. And you just think that that would be like the ending scene. But no, they they break in and like, we, we still have other people who can get infected in here and other vampires that can get them. And then we've got all of these ones outside kind of trying to beat their way into the place. That was yeah. really smart yes. because it it you think the stakes should be to put it to forget the the pun you think the stakes should be doused here and now it's like no they're they're even higher than what we expected i think it just worked really well yeah and you mentioned the scene with the with the band and that that's always reminded me i believe it's probably kill bill 2 uh which is the scene with the band uh in the in when she goes and kills the um the the japanese person uh the japanese woman because she goes and kills you know each of the women and when she goes and kills the japanese woman and they have the sword fight when they're inside uh, of the that bar, in right. in the, the essentially the the tokyo bar exactly and they keep playing through all this destruction and stuff yeah uh which is totally what happens in this movie it's almost like those stylings are are starting to manifest themselves into what's what is going to happen and stuff like tarantino and rodriguez's later projects yeah, uh, that that is that is probably the to me the ultimate scene of the Kill Bill movies is that scene with the crazy eighty eights and all. It's just it's, it's visually beautiful. It's huge action. It's over the top silliness. I like when she starts spanking the young one with the sword because he's like, <laughs> your mother shouldn't let you become a yakuza and shit. It's just, right. It's so I mean, but yeah, that's that's Tarantino, and it's cool because he directed that, which is such a straight up action scene which is not what I would expect from the other stuff that he does because he's so dialogue heavy and he's so much about the characters, just how they they interact with each other verbally that to see him do something like that that was so far removed from the other stuff, it was amazing. Right. I totally agree. I love those movies. You guys should do... Well, Kill Bill isn't really... It's not, it's not a horror film. You can't really do it on the show. But great movie. Listeners, go check out the Kill Bill films if you've never before seeing them. Yeah, they're super... That's saying something. <laughs> so Harvey Keitel as the preacher that also, like, it, I kept watching this, and I know it comes beforehand, but it reminded me so much of Signs with Mel Gibson's character who loses his faith because his wife died. Uh, and Keitel is really good in this because it was... I, I've not seen him play, like, that fatherly figure before. And, and the way that he is, the way that he wants to protect his kids, the way that he keeps his cool in such an uncool situation is is all i mean maybe not realistic but it felt honest and real as to what this guy who was a man of god would be doing to protect his kids uh in the situation where they get kidnapped by these two crazy people right <laughs> let's yeah. rate it let's do it I'm kind of hoping one of these someone says no because i don't know what i would do. i'm just uh we're gonna do it on three uh, or three tier scale of shit ranking Ranking, <laughs> three-tier ranking of systems. Uh, we're going to do it on a zero to five scale, starting with rewatchability. Brett, as our assist, you get to go first. 
Well, I had just watched this film about two months ago and then watched it again this week. Early, earlier today, actually, for this. It's film. actually out in theaters right now, I think. Is it really? Yeah, for this Ooh. week, I think it's alone. It, <laughs> oh, my God. It comes out of theaters on the night. Oh, shit. I might have to go see this movie a third time. In that case, I re- I rate the rewatchability five out of five. No, four out of five. Uh, it is very rewatchable. And uh, I think because of its lighthearted approach, especially in the latter half of the film, uh, it just makes for you get all these weird little intricacies of the fight scenes and the sets and all that stuff in by rewatching it. And I think it's worth doing so. So four out of five, Corey. Yeah, that's, it's an easy four out of five, maybe even a 4.5 out of five. It is just a great, I'll say four, I'll say 4.5, honestly, Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's so good. It's, it's easy to consume. Uh, There's never a dull moment. There's never a point where you're just like, Oh, I, this part is is the part where I want to kind of tune out. It's just consistent. It stays very fast um, without feeling like you're you're barreling through it. And uh, and everybody is is really good in it. That's true. Um, keeping with the trend, I'm gonna say four. Like I said, it's the first time that I've seen it in its entirety, but totally see going back to what's funny as shit. Definitely. Yeah, and, and there's just enough blood to be really entertaining uh next up we're gonna do story zero to five brett uh, (laughs) the story of this film is leaves a lot of plot holes and i think that that's very much intentional as you know as Corey was talking about earlier in the program would it be cool to have a film like this where you get more information about the gecko brothers and what has brought them to be in this place and and what has caused you know uh ricky to be so insane like yeah sure and maybe that's in the show. I don't know. So I would say like three out of five because it's not really about it's three out of five, but it's not a bad three out of five because it's not really about the story and the small bits right. of story it does have build enough of a foundation for it to be very entertaining. Corey. Yeah, I'm going to say three point five out of five, uh, but for much the same reasons. And I think what it is, is that there's a great story for the portion of it that needs the story. And then there's the part of it where they just say, we don't need a story here. We just need to straight up action this. And here's fucking vampires. Uh, NaNoWriMo is going on the, uh, this month. Every November is National Novel Writing Month. And part of what they say in NaNoWriMo is no plot, no problem. You just write and you keep writing and you keep doing whatever you can to keep things, keep the momentum up. And I can easily see somebody being in the middle of a story and just saying, I don't know what to fucking do. I'm not going to hit my work count today. All I know what I'll do. I'll throw in a bunch of fucking vampires and see what happens. And and that to me is is a terrific just twist for the sake of doing the twist. But it it does it right. And while the vampires aren't really well explained in this, and yeah, I'm sure you can say, well, we'll see if it happens in the sequel. For this movie alone, I don't think it was necessary. But the the stuff at the beginning is pure Tarantino story, and I I don't see a way to argue with how good that is. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna go with a three point five. It's I didn't really seem to mind that parts of the story didn't make sense. It didn't ruin it for me at all. It didn't make it better, but I didn't really care. Like you said, it's just there's parts where you just it doesn't matter. You don't really have to, uh, which is good for you because you usually like answers. I do, I do, and I I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, it just it was it was enough where I didn't have to. Care. It did it for me. Congratulations. Uh, scariness zero to five. Brett. I don't find this to be a scary movie. Uh, all of the the latter half is so jokingly gory that it loses any sort of 
frightening aspect to me. I would say like a 1.5 or a 2, maybe like a like a 2 maybe. I think I don't think this is a scary movie uh cuz it it doesn't take its gore very seriously. It's kind of like you know last time I was on with Cabin in the Woods, Cabin in the Woods does really not take its gore seriously. And because of that I can't take it seriously. With that said, I feel like scariness is entirely subjective as to whether or not someone gets scared easily, in which case, yeah, this film might freak you out a little bit. But for me, it's like a two. Fair enough. Corey? Uh, I'm going to say 1.5, but I, I think, yeah, it, on top of what Brett was saying, is that it's not trying to scare you, certainly with the vampires. It, when do you, If you go into this blind and you're not expecting a vampire movie, uh, one, I'm sorry, we spoiled it for you. You should have listened to us at the beginning and yeah. gone and watched first. But there is the surprise of when that happens, but I think that everything that scared me in this, anything that would have made me feel really tense, uh, is the stuff about Richie's character and how just violent he can be for no reason, how he'll just snap and suddenly do real serious harm to somebody uh, for no reason. And and so the stuff with the with the banker that they've kidnapped at the beginning was more terrifying to me than anything with the vampires later on yeah it the scariness dropped off very quickly which is fine i didn't really expect this movie to scare me i just entertained that being said i gave it a one so overall it's super very very good movie though so don't don't get me wrong. yeah so you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail 805 328 3966 you can email us at pot at gncast.com or you can leave us a message on the website we want to hear from you tell us what sucks tell us what you like tell us what we can do different or compliment our guests we enjoy when you Tell us that you like people like Matt Vincent because we like Matt Vincent too. That's true. We like or Brett. Brett. We like Brett Stewart. He's right there, Corey. You can write in and come come shit on me. <laughs> yeah. Send your emails talking about how shitty Brett is. Don't if someone sends you an email about how much they hate me, please read it on the show. Oh, I guess it'll only really be that. because they heard you this Captain America. Oh, oh, you had to remind them. And earlier <laughs> in the show, I gave like a, like a 30, 40 mile radius in which I might live. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault, man. Anyway, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at podcast at podcast tear, not the. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers. And please leave us feedback, whichever one you like. Five star reviews, much appreciated. If you give us a review or email us and tell us how much you love Brad Stewart, I'll read it. I'll quarter read it. Hell, I might even start letting our guests. Can I come back on to read the email? Yeah. About me. Yeah, I will email then, it to you. You I can record it, and then we'll just. Right. Exactly. Play. Just let me read it. Even yeah. even then, especially if they don't like me. Be like the mean like, tweet segment on Kimmel. Exactly. I'll put some. I'll overlay some like really really sad royalty free royalty free music on the background. Yep. I like that. Whoever can send. <laughs> I don't have a competition of who can send the meanest email about Brad in. Christ. <laughs> don't do that. Um. Anyways. All subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe. You can find us on Facebook under the Galactic Network. Brett, where can people find everything you do? Best place to connect with me is on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. That is Rivers and Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. The big thing, I'll press it one more time because it's a real big deal. Uh, Come join us Tuesday evening for the election. That is going to be on alphageekradio.com. And that'll be in the Blazing Caribou channel with video. And we're going to do a lot of real fun stuff with that. And actually, while we were having this program, I just got the email that I am confirmed to be politically reporting the inauguration in January in D.C. So I will be there for that network in January 
doing that as well. Uh, so that's a while away. But if you would like a, a person telling you what's going on that's there on the ground, I will be there. That's awesome. And honestly, uh, if you don't already, you should check out BlazingCaribouStudios.com. They've got a lot of great shows. There are some incredible people over on that network, uh, friends of ours, people that we really enjoy. But they also make great stuff. Uh, so you should check out Brent's show on there and check out Carrie and Sean's stuff, too. Yes, yep, yes. Absolutely. Corey, where do babies come from? Uh, they come from donutscomics.com, where I publish comics for Levi Krauss every week. Uh, we're doing spells in Levi's world every Tuesday and Thursday. And then occasionally you'll see great stuff like Levi's been posting stuff for Inktober uh, every day through the month of October on his blog. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt the Lifeguard. Uh, once again, Brett, thanks for coming on. We'll have you come thanks, back uh, soon, a couple months late. But uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast here, and we will talk to you guys next. The Sci-Fi Survival Guide is a podcast like you've never heard before. It is part of the Galactic Netcasts, but that is where the similarities end. It's a sort of audio feast, a theatre of the mind. You can find out more by going to www.gncasts.com slash survive. Maybe you will find out how to survive a nuclear explosion. Or maybe when the hordes of zombies come knocking at your door. Each month, we will take a popular science fiction scenario and I will tell you how to survive. Be prepared at gncasts.com slash survive. Next week, we are joined by the Galactic Network leader, leader of the, the pack, Vroom Vroom, we could call him, uh, our good our good friend, my longtime friend, Tasteful Dave Nelson. We're going to be talking about a movie called Grave of the Vampire, which I believe is one of the worst movies ever made in the history of the world. I don't know. Corey, have you ever even heard of this thing? Uh, not until I saw that we were going to be talking about it. Yeah. Let's, let's put it this way. If it's the horror movie that you're going to watch and the only way to really see it is through YouTube, it's probably a shit show. I mean, it's on Amazon, but it's definitely free. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you the link to the Amazon thing if you want to get it, but you can find it <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. We don't want to push you on this one. It's totally on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, you have that to look forward to next week. It's probably... I'm ideally going to suck, but thank you once again for listening to the podcast here, and we will talk to you guys next week. Stay scary, everybody. listening to another episode of the podcast here you can help galactic netcast pay for our web and audio hosting by supporting us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash galactic netcasts and pledge as little as dollars a month this has been a galactic network podcast for more go to gncast.com that's gncast.com